0: Hello, podcast listener. This is the Antioch Community Church in Dallas, Texas podcast, and I'm your host, Zach Daniel. I want to thank you as we get started today for your attention. We live in a world with thousands, maybe even millions of things competing for our attention every day, and I just want to honor you and thank you for dialing in here. It's an honor to get to invest in you, to get to pour into you, and I'm excited to see Jesus at work in your lives and through your lives and in us as a community. We're going to continue our series on the book of Philemon today, but before we do that, I have two things for you. One, I want to ask you, if you're not signed up to our email newsletter, I would encourage you to do that. It's at antiochdallas.org. And what happens when you do that is you will get a weekly email from us with the Sermon of the Week with some encouragements, with invitations to things that you can be a part of. It's just, I think it will enrich your life. And number two, I want you to listen in as our communications team shares a few of our announcements for this week.
1: Hey guys, my name is Stephen and I'm on the college pastoral staff here at Antioch Community Church. And I just want to say, welcome home. Thanks for showing up this morning. We are going to worship Jesus together. But before we do, I just want to give you a few announcements so you can be in the know of what's happening here in our community. Hey, you have a fuzz on your beard. Right here. I don't think you can see it, but. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> oh. you should put that in the blue. <laughs> Life groups are the heartbeat of our church And we want you to get involved Summer is over, life groups are back in full swing So I want you to find one You can talk to a welcome home person in the lobby They can tell you about if there's a life group in your area Or one that fits your uh, specific season of life You can check out our website to hear more About what it looks like to be in a life group Life groups are the place where we learn to love, enjoy, and obey Jesus In every part of our lives So we want you to be involved So find a life group. If you need more help finding a life group, please email us at info at antiochdallas.org and we will get you plugged in. I want to let you know about a new class we're starting up here in October called Launch, a 40-day journey in following Jesus. One of our greatest desires here at Antioch is to help you have a thriving relationship with Jesus. And we want to invite you into a six-week experience that will help you do just that. This class is gonna meet on Sunday mornings during the second service. So if you have kids, they can stay in Antioch Kids and you can attend this class. So whether you've been following Jesus for two weeks or 10 years, we want you to be a part of this class. Uh, We just think it's gonna be a great structured opportunity for you to grow and take your next steps in your discipleship journey. So please join us for launch this October. Our next welcome to the family dinner is September 25th. That's on a Sunday from 5.30 to 7. And this is just to help you learn the vision and values uh, of Antioch. And we want you to be here. So if you're new here, this event is specifically for you. We'd love for you to come, eat great food, meet our pastoral staff, and just join us in what God's doing here in Dallas. Well, guys, those were our announcements. They were awesome. You are awesome. Let's worship Jesus together.
0: studying together the book of Philemon, the letter of Philemon that's found in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul wrote to a gentleman named Philemon, uh, and it's an incredible, it's an incredible letter, but I want to ask the question, why are we studying this, why are we taking time to go through this little letter here today, and uh, the best way I know to communicate this is to tell you a brief story. Uh, this week I was at lunch and I looked down to check my phone and I got the uh, the thing you don't want to see on your phone where the screen is just not cracked. Mine's been cracked for a while, but the blue, like the screen where nothing comes up and you just like like oh this is dead and now I'm sure that that you know this is not going to be good when I go to the cell phone store but how much of your life is tied up on your phone? Quite a bit, I imagine, for most of us. So I went to the uh, at and store. They were really kind. That was awesome, a great experience, um, which is not always the case with cell phone providers. This was a great one, so I encourage you to go there. And they helped me, and they kind of worked through the deal, and they said, okay, we can get your replacement phone. Only problem is, it's a, it's a, the only ones we have left are pink iPhones. Now, I didn't rock a pink shirt. I just didn't know if I could do a pink iPhone. So I was like, well, can you call around? So they called around. They found another store for me to go that had some other colors. So I went down there the other night and we changed out my phone. I started to talk with a gentleman who works in the store and he was great too. lives around here. Uh, he's a dad. You know, we connected on that. So I started asking him about at and and how long he's worked there. So he asked me about my line of work. So I'm going work at a church. And I said, you know, do you have a church that you go to? And he's like, well, you know, I went to church some growing up. My parents kind of took me to this type of church, that type of church, this type of church. So I kind of done the, the church round. But when I when I got a little bit older, I just I just checked out. It's just not the thing for me. And I was like, oh, really? Now tell me more about that one. And he said, well, I have these relatives that were really, uh, they said they were Christians, but man, when you were with them, they just gossiped about everybody. And I was just like, that's not, that's not, I, I just, I don't, I don't want to be around that. So it was like my girlfriend, she sometimes takes our kids to, you know, this church and they've got the, the Bible app on their, on their tablets, you know, so I'm not opposed to it, but I just, I'm tired, man. I don't really, I, I, I don't know. You know, and I was as I was talking with him, I was like, Man, somewhere along the way, this guy's missed like the main thing, the big deal. Because here he's talking to me about, you know, that that uh, he doesn't have time or he's thinking about church attendance, like I'm trying to get him to come a certain amount of time. I was like, you, you, I was like, Man, I want to tell you the big deal. The big deal is this Jesus loves you like crazy. I'm not I don't care if you come to my church. I don't care how many times you go. I, I want you to know Jesus is for you. Jesus loves your girlfriend and is for your girlfriend. Jesus loves your kids like crazy and he's for your kids. And that's the big deal. That's what I want you to know. I don't, forget forget talking about church. And you could see that when the big deal was made the big deal, this guy's heart kind of softened. He gave me one of those awkward like bro hugs where you're not sure if you go the full way or just halfway, right? And it was it, you could just tell, it was like, okay. And I, and I left that time, reminded myself, because how often do I get off track with all these other things, you know? And you're like, no, this is the big deal. And I remember just how often we need to be reminded of the big deal. And the big deal is not all the other stuff. The big deal is God loves you. Every single person in this room, that Jesus loves you like crazy. That Jesus is for you. He's for the the, the the people you sit next to in class. He's for your family. He's for your neighbors. He's for your coworkers. Like Jesus loves you and Jesus loves this city like crazy. And we see in this letter to Philemon, we see that radical love on display. The big deal is in focus as the big deal and we're reminded just how awesome Jesus is. And then we see the outworking of when that is central, when that's the thing that shapes us. We see the incredible fruit that's born in lives, that changes individuals, it changes family trees, it changes the trajectory of history. So that's what we're doing as we walk through Philemon. Last week, we started the letter. And we saw kind of the the foundation. That there's the gospel at the root of this letter. That Paul was a Jewish rabbi who encountered the gospel, the message, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, the love of God. He encounters that. He becomes a follower of Jesus. Along the way, he ministers to a wealthy man named Philemon, who too encounters the gospel. And he becomes a follower of Jesus under Paul's ministry. And then you see several friends that they have that they describe with words like he's a brother, he's a sister, he's a co-worker, uh, he's a, a fellow soldier. Like there's this bond that's been brought together through these relationships because of the gospel. God has brought people to himself and brought them to one another. That's the thing that's shaping them. And then we see the fruit of that when we understand the gospel, when it's central, when it's right here and alive in us, we see an incredible fruit that's strength in hard times. How many of you know you are going to go through hard times in your life? How many of you know that not all of your plans and your five-year goals and whatever are going to work out the way that you drew them up? Every single one of us is going to experience pain, Difficulty, challenge, loss, that's just the nature of a fallen world, yeah. right? So you need a resource for strength when things are hard, yeah. right? And we see in the gospel that there is that resource, yeah. that there's a rootedness that we're loved by God, not dependent on whether my circumstances go well today or go poorly, but there's a love that's deeper than that. We see that we're people favored by God in the gospel, that we've received healing in Jesus, that he has made us right. We see deep relationships with one another, that we can be thankful for relationships as gifts, even in the midst of hard times. That we can have this sense of awe and wonder at the majesty of Jesus, even when we're in a hard spot. That's a resource for strength for hard times. That's the fruit that the gospel brings in our life, births in our lives, right? Today we're going to see a second piece of fruit. And my hope is as we look at this fruit, that it will, uh, you'll be able to taste and see afresh the goodness of God. You'll be able to taste and see afresh the goodness of Jesus, and it will warm your heart and draw you to him even more as we go through today. The fruit today is freedom. The fruit that the gospel brings is freedom. You were made for freedom. We long for freedom in our bones. And what we're going to see is the nature of the freedom that the gospel brings as we read today. So turn in your Bibles to Philemon chapter 1 verse 8. And we're going to read a little bit. This is Paul writing to Philemon. He says, accordingly, so Paul writing, accordingly, Philemon, though I'm bold enough in Christ, another name for Jesus, though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you, my child, I appeal to you for my child. Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Now pause right there. Just like last week, when Paul's using the words of family, it's not literally that he had a child in prison named Onesimus, but he's talking about Onesimus, the runaway, rebellious slave that we referenced last week, that under Paul's ministry became a Christian, became a follower of Of Jesus, And in that, we see the gospel making him family. So now Paul's saying, hey, this isn't just some random guy. This is like my son. This is somebody that I love. It's like a a family member. Formerly, Onesimus was useless to you, Philemon, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you. I'm sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me, in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but out of your own accord. That's a really powerful verse right there. For this, perhaps, is why he parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bond servant as a beloved brother especially to me but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord so if you consider me your partner receive him as you would receive me if he's wronged you at all or owes you anything charge that to my account I Paul write this with my own hand I will repay it to say nothing Philemon of you owing me even your own self yes Brother I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. There are three things that I want us to focus on as we're looking at the fruit of freedom. I want us to make sure that we see the gospel root. I want us to make sure that we see the gospel fruit in this little section of Scripture. And then I want us to talk about gospel fluency. So gospel fruit, gospel fruit, gospel fluency is kind of the way we're walking through this book. So now, as you're reading that portion of Scripture, what I'm hoping for you is the same thing that happens to my daughter when she walks in our backyard from time to time and our neighbors who grill a lot, barbecue a lot, you can smell the aroma kind of wafting into our backyard. A sparrow will go outside, and she'll smell, you know, that good, that good smell of barbecue grilling on the grill, and she'll come back and be like, "Gaddy," you know, our neighbors, they're grilling again, and it just smells so good, and we all get used to that, Smell. We like that smell. that makes you hungry. It makes you want to go over and get to know your neighbors. <laughs> but my hope is that, you know, for her, she's learned the smell of our neighbor's barbecue. She knows it, right? I'm hoping that as we look through this, that it will become obvious to you that we can smell the sweet and pleasing aroma of the gospel in this little section of scripture. That what's being talked about here is not just happenstance. It's not just two guys trying to figure out a problem. But this is a situation that is being influenced and, and, and marked and shaped by the gospel. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if you remember last week, we defined the gospel as the good news, the declaration that Jesus, the God of the universe, came for you and me. People like you and me, us here in this room, that were rebellious, that were uh, runaways, that were, you know, we told God we want to be our own kings, our own creators, we do life on our own terms, and God in his mercy pursued us. That Jesus came for us. That Jesus lived the life that we could have lived, should have lived, but chose not to turn from, right? But he did. it. And then he went to the cross, not just as a good example of like, this is what forgiveness looks like. That's what I thought for a long time. But as a substitution, the Bible says that God took Jesus, he who knew no sin, and made him sin. Jesus took on our sin on the cross that we might become the righteousness of God, that we might experience the forgiveness of God, the new life of God, that God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day, showing the power of sin, power of death, the power of, uh, of Satan broken, and a new life birthed forth for you and for me when we receive it. We talked about the gospel last week. Now, you can smell the aroma here. You can smell it permeating the way that Paul is speaking to Philemon. And what do I mean by that? Well, what you see here is you see someone in power, that has authority. That's Paul. He's an apostle. He's a spiritual leader. He's one that Philemon would look to, right? And you see Paul using that power, using that authority, using that position, not to try and get Philemon to send him some money. Maybe that could have gotten Paul out of prison. That's not Paul's objective here. He's not trying to get the rich guy to to give some money. What's Paul using his power for? He's using his power to advocate on behalf of a runaway, rebellious slave who has no power, who has no position, who has no prestige, who has gotten himself into this mess in the first place. And yet Paul is not only advocating for him, but then Paul says, I'm willing to step in and whatever he owes you, you can charge it to my account. As we think about the gospel, we should start to smell the aroma, the pleasing aroma of, oh, that's what Jesus did on Paul's behalf. That's what Jesus did on Philemon's behalf. That's what Jesus did on your and my behalf. He used his power, his prestige, his authority. The Bible says that though he was rich, he became poor for our sakes. That we through his poverty might become rich. He advocated for us, he stepped in our place. You start to smile. Oh, huh. What else do we see in this? We see that there is this picture of a slave who is no longer a slave but becomes a brother. And you start to see, oh, Why would that be the the counsel here? Why would that be the advice? Because that's what Jesus had done for us. That's what Jesus had done for them. That Jesus had come for all of us. The Bible says that we were rebels, slaves to sin, slaves to ourselves, doing our own thing, uh, guilty of the judgment of God. And God stepped in on our behalf and doesn't just receive us, but he receives us into his family. That Jesus in the gospel adopts us into God's forever family. So you see that that's the, the counsel here, it's shaping the advice here. Right? I hope you're starting to see. Oh, that's what's that's what's going on. That's where that's where these guys are, 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 are headed. You see the strong stepping in for the weak. You see the the, the slave being made a brother. Last one that I want to show you is in verse, uh, let's see, in verse 17, Paul says, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. And your mind might go to another uh, story about someone receiving someone, uh, a generous reception, a loving reception, a welcoming reception. Reception, even when there had been offense, even when there had been wrongdoing, even when there had been a turning is the story of the prodigal son, where the son who grew up in his rich father's house took advantage of the wealth, took advantage of the relationship to go and spend it on his own, on his own self, and when he ran out of money, the Bible says he came to his senses. So I'm going to try and go back to my father's house. And when he goes back to the father, the father doesn't uh, disqualify him; doesn't say you need to pay this off. You worthless whatever, but the father runs to him and embraces him and greets him. And Jesus taught that in Luke 15, and Jesus taught that's what God is doing in the gospel to all of us, right? So you see this imagery is shaping this letter. That's what's shaping. That's the root behind here, right? That's the context for what's going on. And what I want to point out to you is the fruit that that brings, The fruit of freedom. And there are three ways that I want to show you the fruit. The first one occurs in verse 8. Paul says that this gospel that he has encountered, that has shaped him, that has marked him, that it gives him boldness. You could also translate that as that makes him frank, makes him a man of plain speech. He's not hiding his words. He's not trying to be just something that he's not. He just is who God has made him to be. Now, we are an insecure generation. We struggle so much with insecurity as people. Is this person going to like me? Should I change the way I dress to, to get here or do that, to get there? Like we, we just struggle with insecurity. I'd ask all the insecure people to raise your hand, but I think that would uh, be uh, not the best move, right? Just further play on that insecurity. But man... I've struggled so much in my life with with insecurity, right? And yet what we're seeing is the gospel has given Paul a boldness. Now, how does that come? How does that confidence come, right? What the gospel does is it changes our focus away from what this person thinks about me or that person thinks about me or even what I think about myself and it brings us into the presence of God where it's the king who's spoken his word of approval over my life. And that's the defining word over someone who has received the gospel. It brings a freedom from the fear of man. It brings the freedom from living like a chameleon. It brings freedom from thinking that you need to do X, Y, and Z to somehow measure up. And it's like, God has embraced me. And the fruit of that is a confident freedom. I want you to know, some of you, you need to hear that word today. You've been carrying this insecurity, this guilt, this sense of inferiority, this I don't measure up. And so the way that you learn to cope is to be a chameleon or to work really hard. And the gospel wants to breathe freedom into you. A freedom to be bold freedom to be who God's made you to be, to reflect the glory of God as he has made you because you have his favor and his approval on your life. Paul is writing and he's going to say something that could offend Philemon, could kind of make things awkward. Like this probably wouldn't be a pleasant thing to say. I want you to receive back the one who's wronged you. Like if I were to write that letter to someone who is deeply offended, like that might hurt a relationship. But because Paul has experienced the freedom that the gospel brings. He's able to say the thing that's hard but true, hard but right. He's able to step out in courage and not shrink back and live in fear, right? You see that? see the fruit? It's a bold fruit. Now, but the next line helps us see that it's not just bold, it's also deep. He says, I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake... I prefer to appeal to you. That's verse 9. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. And then in verse 14, he says why? I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. So now we see that the freedom that the gospel brings is not not just a bold confidence, but it's also a deep freedom. Why? So interesting to me that Paul is not writing, telling Philemon what to do. I've read this portion maybe two hundred times, and I still can't figure out: is he is he telling him set him free? Is he telling him receive him back? Is his brothers telling him send him back to me? Like it's it's a little bit open ended, and maybe what makes some of us feel uncomfortable because we like the list. We like the rules. We like, just tell me what to do, right? But that's not what Paul's doing. That's not the freedom that the gospel brings. It's not just a surface level, okay, I know the rules, I do them. My heart can be wherever, but I, I you know, I just do the right thing, right? No, the gospel says your heart matters. And the freedom that God's bringing is a deep freedom. It's deeper than surface level of a nod to obedience, checking things off the list, that says, I want to touch the deepest places in you, and I want what comes out of you to be from your own accord, not under compulsion, but from your whole heart. Now, think about that. That's a whole new (laughs) layer of depth to the freedom that the gospel brings, And and Paul is not saying, here's what you need to do. He's saying, I prefer to appeal to love. Essentially, Philemon, in the way Jesus has loved you, that's what I want you to do. How do you handle a situation? Well, I mean, I can think through several ideas, but the big deal is I want you to think about, I want to prefer to appeal to love. I want you to think through how has Jesus loved you, Philemon? And in the way that he's loved you, as you've experienced the gospel, as you've let it shape you, as you've been the radical recipient of the love of God, well, then do whatever love would have you do to reflect that. Now, think about that, right? It's really profound if you think about how that gets at the heart and not just an external nod to whatever some guy said. How has Jesus loved you, Philemon? Right? It's amazing. So, it's a deep fruit. It's touching the heart, it's getting down here. Third thing that I want you to see this type of freedom is that it's a reconciling freedom. So it's not just a freedom from stuff, but it's a freedom to be able to do hard things. Because now we're seeing Onesimus is going to go back and face up to the wrong that he's done to Philemon. And Philemon is being called to do something that's not popular, not prominent in society, but to reconcile, to forgive, to embrace, to receive. And so it's not just a freedom of, oh, I'm not insecure anymore, but it's power to do hard things, to face wrongs that were done. To face people who wronged you, to face people who wronged me, to face people I wronged, to face people you wronged, to go back and to reconcile those relationships. That takes power. So it's a bold freedom. It's a deep freedom. And it's a powerful freedom not to be defined by the mistakes of your past anymore. The courage to go and to pursue reconciliation. So now I want to speak about fluency for a moment. I think it's very interesting to me that uh, we don't get the list of here's what to do. And as I've thought about this week, I thought, this is why this is so profound and so beautiful. Because The outworking of this, what we know, Bible scholars tell us, the outworking of Paul's writing, the outworking of Philemon's interaction with Onesimus set off an atomic bomb next to the institution of slavery. The application of it, as they became fluent in, how has Jesus loved me radically, generously, graciously, forgivingly, as I received that How do I face this situation with Onesimus? What do I do? I do what Jesus has done to me and for me, and that's the way that I'm to respond. As they become fluent in applying that, this institution over time is dismantled. Think about the situations in your life There are so many situations that fall within the bounds of scripture, but it's like, I don't know how to do that. The Bible tells me I'm supposed to love my wife. Well, my wife is a unique individual. How do I know how to love her? Like there's not one book that kind of spelled out everything I should do or think to love my wife well. The answer, I'm to love Christina as Jesus has loved me. So I'm going to think on how does Jesus love me. I'm going to receive that love, and I'm to apply it to this situation. Your situation is different. I have a six-year-old son. His way of receiving love is playing remote control cars and wrestling. Right? There's no Bible verses that tells me how to be a good dad to him in that regard. Versus my other son, my one and a half-year-old just wants to get into the pantry to get the carbs out. That's all he cares about. Snack, snack, snack. It's like his his word. Right? How do I love them? They're different. I have to become fluent in the principle. I have to become fluent in the gospel. I have to become fluent in how is Jesus love me? Let me express that love. Sometimes that love means yes to one and no to the other. Sometimes that love means no to one and yes to the other. Think about the situations in your life. They're all so different. If we went around the room, we've got thousands of relationships and situations and complex family trees and and work relationships and, and issues that we face in our world that they didn't face. In this little situation, right? But it doesn't mean that the gospel doesn't have transforming power for us today. We just need to grow in fluency. My question as we close is Philemon and Onesimus applied the power of the gospel in their relationship and the world was changed. I wonder what relationships What situations, what things in our world that we all live in are waiting to be transformed? What atomic bombs are waiting to be set off against injustice in our world? What relationships are waiting to be reconciled? What family trees are going to be transformed as you and I receive the gospel and apply it bear that fruit of freedom and love people in the way that Jesus has loved us and loves us, I wonder what's gonna happen.